So it's possible that some of you might have noticed that I set aside my journalism substack, which I was doing every week for about five months. And here's the exclusive story of what happened. <clears throat> I got beaten down. I just got beaten down. Bo Jackson edits, a new book deal, website reconstruction, this podcast, winning time, my wife, my kids, my fucking dog. And whenever I set stuff aside, I always feel guilty, like I'm letting people down. And I'm betting many of you here get that feeling as well. Well, you shouldn't. Sometimes we all just have to say, I'm doing too much and I need a break. So I don't know, maybe one day I'll start up with the Substack again, or maybe I won't. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter. I just want to be present and I just want to be happy. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Peyton Titus, the University of Florida junior, a former member of the Alligator Sports Department, and the investigative reporter behind a piece that, thanks to her doggedness, led to the dismissal of the head coach of the Gators women's soccer team. The resulting article, which appeared on the WUFT website beneath the headline, Florida soccer coach leaving after complaints by players over comments about eating habits and bodies, is terrific. This is episode number 258. Let's sling some yang. All right, Peyton. First of all, I just want to say, and this speaks very well about you and your journalism future. I search my hat collection. I make sure to find my one University of Florida Gator hat, which I bought at a Marshall's in Florida probably 10 years ago for eight bucks. And, you know, you go to Florida, so I point out the hat. And this is what you say to me. You say, oh, I actually just covered up my Florida t-shirt <laughs> in the name, correct me if I'm wrong, in the name of journalism professionalism. Is that correct? Precisely, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I want to ask you a question before we go anywhere here. You're an aspiring journalist. You have internships and you worked for the student newspaper for many years and et cetera, et cetera. Is it okay for you to root for the Florida Gators? No. Why? Because there's no cheering in the press box. I mean, there's like, you can't be, the world is already with journalism and everything is so, I mean, not, I guess not sports as much to like, if you are fanning over the teams that you cover, likely you don't get kind of torn down in the way that you do in other aspects of journalism. But, you know, there's no, there's no like Homerism in sports journalism. At least, at least that's what I've been taught. So that's what I go by. When you show up at the University of Florida and you know you want to be a journalist, which it seems like you knew from a young age, did you just decide I'm I'm not going to root for my college team? Like I'm just not going to do it? Well, so it's tricky because I feel like I'm not, and I'm not, I don't think I'm alone in this, but uh, I've been a Gator fan, I guess, like my whole life. So like my dad's always been a Gator fan. So I've always been a Gator fan. I my, When I got into UF, my mom posted a photo of me like baby in like baby gator Jordans, basically like at our first house that we lived in. So when I got here and I learned that that was very much a thing, kind of like a golden rule, I, it, it took a lot to get used to. And at the alligator where I worked the student paper at UF, um, they're independent. So they're very big on that. And so if you ever like your first like few weeks working there, if you say we, 
when talking about any Florida Gators athletic team, everyone ridicules you like on the staff. So you get snapped out of that pretty quick. So once I learned that that was a rule, it's just kind of the only way that I'm able to operate anymore. So <laughs> I love that times a thousand. And I think it, um, I hate when I hear journalists say we're all by, we all root for teams. Like it's not that hard not to refer to you. Like it's just not that hard. Yeah, I mean, if I if I and other like UF sports students can go from being a fan literally my entire life up to this point to solving that in like less than four years, I think others can figure it out, too. So yeah, totally with you. All right. So the reason I'm having you here today is because uh, April 27th. So we're, we're recording this the day this came out, which is Wednesday, April 27th. Uh, story comes out on the W. It's WUFT. I can't read my own writing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which is a CBS affiliate in Gainesville. Headline, Florida soccer coach leaving after complaints by players over comments about eating habits, bodies, has your byline on it. Lead is University of Florida fired its new soccer coach Wednesday after only one season amid unprecedented numbers of players leaving the program after his hiring and complaints by athletes who said he pressured them about eating habits and their bodies. Florida's athletic director, Scott Strickland, notified players of the decision regarding coach Tony Amato in a private meeting that came just before Strickland and Amato were scheduled to discuss the players' complaints in separate one-on-one -on -one media interviews for an investigative news article about the program's problems that was to be published later this week. Firing was the first time the athletic director had fired a coach after only one year, Strickland said. Under Amato's contract, the athletic program will pay him $1.04 in base salary through January 2027. Okay, let's just go soup to nuts here. How does this happen? So... Players have been complaining, I guess, to like unsolicited and solicited a little bit um, since October of 2021. And Amato was hired in May of 2021, just kind of expressing concerns about, you know, his leadership style and the way they feel like they're being treated, um, worried that his conduct could get worse uh, if left unchecked, kind of like what happened with the women's basketball program at the University of Florida. Um, which that news came out in September. I talk about it a little bit in the story where their head coach, who Strickland also hired, um, had reportedly been abusing his players, uh, throwing basketballs at them, like saying insensitive racist comments to them. And so they, they saw this happen in September and were concerned, obviously. So they started trying to reach out. And Wait, reach out to who? The college newspaper? No, so to, to the athletic department. Okay. trying to, to see what could be done about that. Um, and so from what I've gathered, you know, it was kind of back and forth trying to see what can be done. You know, like there, there was this therapy session that was held at the, toward the end of October uh, with the players and a, an athletic department therapist, uh, which the coach did not attend. So that, that was kind of an attempt uh, to try and figure out what the issues were and move past it. Uh, and today, on Wednesday, Strickland basically just talked about how over the course of this conversation they've been trying to have with the head coach, they kind of just lost confidence that the adjustments that needed to be made were going to be made. And so they decided to terminate him. Okay. How do you find out? Because you broke this story. You were the first one to report this. How did you find out? Well, we got an anonymous tip uh, at WFT and my editor, Ted Brightus, called me. I think it was actually like my birthday weekend um, last month in March and was like, hey, we got this tip. And I really think that you are um, 
you know, someone who is equipped to tell this story. So I wanted to reach out to you and see if you would be willing to to do that since I'm not actually in his class. So, uh, and I was like, of course I am, you know, that I'd say this is what I'm all about, you know, for women in sports and being a woman in sports media myself, like this is definitely something that I would want to do. So I kind of just started hitting the phones and with his guidance, you know, like uh, digging into certain aspects of what they had to tell me in terms of what could be deemed bad versus just I'm not getting along with the new head coach that that got hired. So sifting through that was kind of a difficult process, but I'm glad we were able to get it out. I'm glad we were able to tell these women's stories because I know they were really wanting someone to hear them. I usually hate doing this, but I'm going to, I need to go two steps back. Can you explain this to me briefly before we started recording? So you're a journalism student at Florida and Ted Brightis is a professor at Florida and the relationship between Ted you ultimately doing this story, WUFT, which is a PBS affiliate. How? What is the relationship there? WFT is basically this kind of, I guess, from what I gather, you can apply for positions there, but a lot of the time students get this um, kind of immersion experience in certain reporting classes where they their assignments are to report stories for WFT. Um, and so Professor Brightis has this class called Fresh Take Florida, where it's mostly accountability reporting a lot of the time it's i think when he initially started it it was supposed to be mostly like tallahassee kind of reporting so like state politics and stuff for people who want to get into that after college but it's like evolved obviously with covid and everything and not being able to send people to tallahassee for a lot of the time it's evolved into all these other kinds of things and so when the newsroom wft which does have a tip line when uh, they got a tip about this story and brightest being the like news hound that he is obviously probably listening to the voicemail box like every day um, reaches out to me uh, based on, you know, what my, I guess my resume and what he thinks I'm capable of doing and, and tapped me as someone who he thought would be best to tell this story. So. All right. So he calls you, you got this tip. First thing you do is what? Well, first thing I do, I was actually picking up my uh, one of my siblings birthday cakes at like an ice cream shop. So drove home was the first thing I did. And then I started going through uh, social media uh, to try and see if any of the women on the roster had posted anything that could be interpreted as, um, you know, like problems with the with this coaching staff. Um, because I knew when the women's basketball story was coming out, like those women were posting on TikTok about some of their abuse that they experienced. So I was like, well, why don't I go there? And so I, I went through uh, as many people's feeds as I could find and, uh, you know, went through the roster and flagged things that I thought could be worth asking folks about. This is on TikTok mainly? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. uh, I feel like that's mostly where people my age are. Um like the journalists are on Twitter. I don't know how many other people my age are on Twitter. Um, what about Instagram? Not so much. Instagram, yes. But I feel like if you're going to post stuff like this, you probably have what's called a Finsta, which is like a like a fake Insta. So it's like you post, it's a private account most of the time. And you post like not what you would think Instagram worthy moments are. So more more like just had a mental breakdown, like, like peace sign, smile type crying selfie like that's a fence thing or like doing something stupid like that's a fence thing so but people are much more open and kind of silly on tiktok because that's kind of what the platform's for i would say so i went through there and looked there um you're going player to player on tiktok 
searching to see if anyone is basically offering any kind of hint or inclination that they don't like this coach. Yeah. So I go, I scroll all the way down until I find something time stamped um, at least May 24th. Cause that's when he was announced. And so once I see that, I just scroll up and I scroll all the way up to like present day. And some people that was only like four or five videos and other people it was like a lot of videos, like a lot. Um, but yeah, so I, I started doing that. And then um, people who did have uh, certain things that I thought were worthy of like asking about, I, I got their contact information and, and got the contact information of people who we had heard through the tip um, or not through the tip, actually, sorry. We compared the rosters, the 2022 ro- spring roster with the 2021 fall roster to see who was not there anymore, but who wasn't like a senior uh, or anything to see who likely had entered the transfer portal because of this issue. And so we got all their content information, just started reaching out to people. And if I heard from people, I would be like, can you tell me anyone else that I should like reach out to and yada, yada, yada. So. Wait, I love this stuff. Hold on. So are you reaching out to people via TikTok or I guess, you know, Instagram DM? Like, how are you actually generally re- like you say you get their contact info? What does that even mean? So I got their cell phone numbers. And the way that I'm able to do this, this is like I've talked to people before about taking advantage of being a student journalist when you're covering college athletics, because there are so many athletic departments now have their own communications like staff. And so typically the way that it's kind of explained or the the typical dynamic is that you reach out to the sports information director to write about stories and then they give you access to players. But like that's, there's no like legal thing with that. Like you don't have to stick with that pathway. And so when you are a student at the University of Florida, if you log into your like little student account, you can search the school directory for fellow students, email addresses, and sometimes cell phone numbers. So in the past, like when, when I was covering the University of Florida's football team for the Alligator, I went through the roster, and this is a long roster, like way longer than soccer. Um, and I looked up every single guy's name in that directory. And I found all of their email addresses and some of their cell phone numbers. And I sent one email copying or BCCing like all of them on it. And it's, and I was just like, hi, I'm Peyton Tice. Like I'm a beat reporter, but yada, yada, yada. If you guys ever want to talk about anything, like here's my cell phone number. We could talk on Signal, which is like an encrypted messaging app. Or you could email me at my personal email address here. That's not subject to public records request. So hold on. I'm, I'm first of all, I love this shit so much. <laughs> I love this stuff. So when you send out that email, we're going way out of order here, but I'm cool with it. When you send out that email, like one of my least favorite species in America, and not all of them, but many, is the Division One Sports Information Director. Avoid, can't stand, power hungry, you know, especially bullying to student newspapers, oftentimes student journalists, oftentimes. You send out that email. Isn't some sports information director from Florida going like, Peyton, you can't just blah, blah, blah. You need to go through me. Remember that happening? No, I I think it. And honestly, that could have just been because like these guys are so busy with their schedule that they just don't even think to tap their SID and be like, hey, like I just got an email from this girl at the alligator. Like that was so weird. And and then I would get yelled at for like maybe. But I don't remember that happening. I feel like people most of the time they're kind of just like, yes, I want to 
talk to you or no, I don't want to talk to you. So I'm just going to not respond because I'm a busy person. And I get that. When you send that out to all the football players, did you get a lot of, did you get mostly ignored or did you get a lot of people who are like, oh, cool. I got mostly ignored, but I got, I got a few responses back, which was nice, but yeah, it wasn't definitely not a whole lot of people, but when you're reaching out to like a hundred people and like three or four respond, you know, like sometimes that's all that you need to know to have some kind of in as to what's going on. So. Wait, Peyton, I'm being serious when I say this, you are so far ahead of the game in this stuff. It warms my heart. And I just want to say, I mainly write books for a living and the research for a book really is tracking down. All right, you're doing, I wrote Brett Favre's biography as an example. Well, you find every guy Brett Favre ever played with and you reach out to one after the other, after the other, and you end up reaching out to 2000 and maybe you get 150, but that's mm-hmm. the only way you get the 150 is by reaching out to the 2000. I way applaud this approach. I think it's super smart and it's a grind and it's a pain in the ass, but it's really the best way to do it. So freaking bravo in that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like professors say all the time, at least at UF and in the journalism college, like you send, you know, 10 messages or you call 10 times to be hung up like nine times, you know, so so you you just have to find somebody you have to figure it out. So, you know, if volume helps with that. So and also like paid not to not to uh, not to go into adult lecture mode here, but like there's always going to be a better writer than you. There's always going to be a better reporter than you. There's a better writer than me. There's a better reporter than me. At the end of the day, you can control how hard you work. To me, at the end of the day, that's your currency card. I will bust my ass for you. Like that is what I will do. I will make every call I need to make and I will be nonstop about it. And while the other college journalists are out getting drunk or partying at a Florida game, like you're sitting on your freaking phone doing it and that stuff matters. And that's how you get these stories. So hugely impressive. Back to the story though. All right. So you're, you're working on this for a while about this soccer coach, Tony Amato, and you're scrolling through social media feeds, looking for anything. Does that result in a lot? Is that the, is that what opens up to you sort of this whole story? I get a better understanding, I guess, in terms of what the issue is with this coach, because our tip was pretty vague and understandably so because they, this person was trying to remain anonymous um, in leaving it. And they were kind of just like, there, there's possibly a toxic environment, like akin to what was happening with the basketball program um, happening with the women's soccer team. And so I'm kind of like, okay, well, that could be a lot of different things that could mean a lot of different things. And so going on social media, I was able to see more so kind of kind of like the equivalent of a subtweet, you know, of on, but like in video form, I guess, (laughs) or like the caption says something or, or like they put text on the actual video that says something like when your coach does like yada, yada, yada or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, well, those are like exact situations that I can ask questions about. So I can be like, I, so I saw you like post this thing on TikTok and I kind of wanted to ask like, how much of a joke was that? Like, did that really happen? And how did you, whatever, and then as soon as I hear from one person, then I can ask that all the other people that I talked to, like, hey, I heard this from somebody, like, can you confirm that that also happened? And like, yada, yada, yada. And then it starts this whole kind of chain of, of just like getting more and more information, I guess. So, Is it hard to get people, even if you give them an anonymity, is it hard to convince people it's worth opening up? Yes, but I really think 
I have said this before too, but I really think like being a student journalist and in this case, being a woman student journalist and approaching other students and other young women who are basically like my same age uh, and sending them when I reach out, like, this is my, you can like, feel free to Google me and see like what work I've done. So that way, you know, that I'm not just like Joe Schmo reaching out and trying to like know some of the most traumatic things that have ever happened to you, you know? And so like, I try to, when I talk to them or, or explain what it is I'm trying to do, like explain why I'm someone to be trusted and, and to say to like, always just say like, I appreciate you sharing that. Like, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm sure that that was difficult and stuff like that. And, and like, I'll be sure to keep you posted in terms of if this does come to fruition so that way you're able to mentally prepare when it does drop because reliving that I know can be hard. And so I think all of that, together and being able to take advantage of what some people would think put me at a disadvantage of being a woman student journalist in sports media uh, and using it to my advantage to show these young women that I am genuine and that I care about them and their stories. And I'm not just out here for a story, like for myself, like a clip for me, because that's not what's important here. Like what's important is telling their stories and making them feel heard because and I mean, that that was like, there's some heartbreaking stuff in, in the article, but like this whole time having speaking to these young women and they're like pouring their hearts out to me and they're just like, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for doing this for us. Like we feel heard and I appreciate that so much. And it's just like, thanks for saying that. But I should, I feel icky that you are so thankful to me for doing this when I feel like any reporter worth their salt, if they knew that this was happening or heard a whiff of this happening, would look into it and try to talk to as many of you as possible so it's upsetting that I'm the first one to reach out but like you know I like I'll do it because it needs to happen it's also a little bit of an indictment of modern journalism that we're at the point where college journalists have to are doing some of the biggest heavy lifting and I'm not saying you're not capable of it you clearly are but it's kind of pathetic that like it in a lot of cases nowadays it takes college journalists to uncover stuff that in the past the local newspaper the local associated press reporter UPI reporter would have uncovered. Like it's kind of up to you guys now to cover your campuses and then we take it from there. Yeah. I mean, my, my friend Zach Huber did the um, women's basketball story and I know that that was a, a challenge for him, but like, again, nobody else, like these women are posting TikToks dated like July talking about how they're excited that this man resigned. And it's like, was nobody like, are no other reporters paying attention to this? Like the fact that Zach found this in, in July and then gets out in September and nobody else who is not enrolled in classes, like can get it done faster or like thinks they even need to get it done faster. Cause it's women's basketball. Yep. You know, it's just a lot. I like this, actually, this episode. It's almost like we have this narrative that goes straight with a lot of branches off, which is kind of how I like it actually. So you talk to people you have sort of confirmation that things are not going so smoothly under, you know, Tony Amato's women's soccer coach of Florida. What do you do with that information? So I'm, I'm checking in with Professor Brightest like every day or every time I hear from someone and I'm keeping a running list, I guess, of, of notes, sometimes written in paragraph form to try and make the actual writing process easier later. I don't know how much that helped to this time in terms of trying to make sure we worded things really well and kept people's identities private if, if they wanted that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just collecting information and getting to a point where, you know, finally we think we have enough 
anecdotes from enough people to be able to kind of move forward with this. And that's when you reach out to the athletic department and everybody for their comment, you know, as, as you should do giving everybody a chance to kind of speak on the situation. How long ago did you reach out actually to the athletic department? Uh, Thursday, Thursday, I reached out last Thursday. You're about to make this call. You're calling the athletic director, correct? Well, I'm I'm sending an email to the communications people about setting up interviews and interview or interviews. I think I don't remember the word exact wording that I did, but with the athletic director and the soccer coach, because I want to know about the vetting process and like the process of the com- complaints being made and things like that. Um, and then the coach, obviously, because I'm like, well, here are all these anecdotes I have about you. And so I need to speak with you and see what you have to say about these uh, anecdotes on what your perspective is. So. Wait, why, um, why don't you call, I'm not being critical. I'm actually interested. Why don't you call them directly as opposed to calling through the PR people? So from what I've gathered, if you call like the number of the athletic director, like the extension, everything, like you get secretary. And I don't think that that would be productive. I don't know. I feel Cause I feel like I would just be leaving a message in the same way. And so now I kind of have it in writing and I am making sure that I reach out to like, all the comms people that I think are appropriate in email form. And I'm able to like follow up and be like, Hey, just circling back around and without having to jump through hoops. So you send that email to them. I'm sure they're like, Oh fuck. So what, what is the response you get? So I heard back on Friday about trying to um, schedule these interviews, like more, more a little bit toward the end of the day. And I've got one pinned down, still waiting to figure out when we're going to do the other one. And those interviews, as, as you know, expressed in the article, they're supposed to happen today, Wednesday. And then that obviously does not happen because they make the decision to part ways with Tony Amato. So what is your reaction when you find out that the coach has been fired? I was kind of shocked because I did not expect I thought that that would be kind of an extreme response. And I think the reason I thought it was an extreme response is because it's only been one season. So. I mean, I, I guess I kind of thought that, so I, I talk about in the, in the story, how Strickland had promised players and some parents that they would be, that UF would be investigating the program. And so I assumed, I was like, well, maybe they'll put out a release today saying that they're investigating the program and, and maybe like he's suspended for that. Maybe not, but I'm pretty sure that they're like spring practices are over now. And like the women are allowed to leave campus and everything. So they don't have, they don't have to see him. So maybe they wouldn't even suspend him. I don't know, but I'm thinking that if they release anything before I'm able to release my information, it's just the investigation, not he's getting fired or, or he is fired. So I was pretty shocked to see that. Did you hear from any of the people you interviewed for the story, any of the players saying praise Jesus or anything of that nature? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's where some of the thank you started to roll into, even though, you know, like this obviously has been something that they've been percolating on, I guess, for a while. But the, the players felt that um, my, I guess, kind of digging may have expedited that process. But I, I think they were just like thankful that, you know, they, they were talking to me and now they've actually seen some kind of action that they liked. Tony Amato, he's got a wife, Samantha. He has two daughters who are five and one. This is a real guy who is facing a real public humiliation and repudiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just wondering when you're working on a story like this, 
And I'm not saying you should, to be clear. I'm just wondering, do you think about the guy at all? Do you consider him? Today, I kind of have just because I feel like I haven't been able to be on Twitter very much today because I've been kind of running around with like a chicken with my head cut off. But, um, you know, like that, I, I do think about the fact that he is a guy with his own uh, life and own things going on. And, and like, I, you know, and that's why we wanted to reach out to him. So that way he could have an opportunity to speak on this stuff. And it wouldn't just be, you know, like I quote unquote, like one side and he would have a chance to kind of explain things or maybe, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what he would say to some of this stuff that I heard about, but, you know, giving him a, chance and trying to reach out even after the interview with UF ended up not working out because he was no longer employed there just to make sure that if he did want an opportunity to speak, that he'd be able to do that. But yeah, I mean, that is tough. And and yes, he is a guy, but also like in that I talked to for the story, like here's a 10 women who've played for him either at UF or Arizona who are just like, my life is changed because of this man. And so it's like, well, you know, you have an interesting path. 2017, you are a high school swimmer in Florida and you are diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. You're obviously you're cancer free, you've been cancer free for several years. But while you are going through treatment and while you are sort of recovering, you're doing a lot of writing. And you're this kid, this high school kid who knew she wanted to be a journalist and you're interning at Swimming World. You became the editor of the Florida Swim Network. And I'm going to ask you a big, fat, broad softball of a question, which is how did going through cancer, how did being diagnosed with cancer as a high school student, I guess, number one, impact your world outlook and number two, impact your decision to go into journalism? So Florida Swim Network, that uh, was being run by a guy named Ryan Rosenbaum at the time. He's no longer does it. He's like doing this other business venture that I can't remember the name of. Otherwise I would plug it for him, do him a favor because he's done me a huge favor so far, but he's running this website and he's a swimmer at UF and he's also in the like J school, I think. Um, And he, they tweet out something and they're like looking for writers or whatever. And I am in my room, I'm like 16 in my room. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, that would be cool. So I, I just like DM them and I'm like, Hey, do you guys need somebody? Like I know people in the swimming world. Like I'm not like the best swimmer, but like, I know some pretty fast swimmers and like, maybe I could cover high school swimming for you guys. Um, and so I start doing that. Uh, and then I get diagnosed after, uh, my high school season wraps up. And so I kind of have to take a break from that. Uh, but I do apply for the swimming world internship, which was an interesting experience because it was my first time ever to like, I I like sort of learned AP style for that. Like I learned that you're supposed to spell out numbers under 10, but that's kind of all that I learned. I think I also learned like no Oxford comma, but I think that's it. Like, I think those are the only two things that I actually abided by with that, but like had to write in WordPress and want my editor there. She had asked me if I would be comfortable because I think it was like a month or two, maybe removed from the end of treatment, writing about what it was like to to be like a swimmer and then be diagnosed and having to like sit out of swimming. And so I do this kind of like personal essay, I guess, on my journey and and talking about how like my swim family at the time was really supportive of me um, and how like sports taught me to 
you know, like, I think I said something pretty cheesy in it, but like swim with your head down, like starting from the flags, like into the wall, you know, just like go, like power through, like don't breathe for the last little bit. If you have to like, just make sure that you finish strong. Um, and like, kind of like into that, I guess, to, to my treatment and, and journey. And so I think that that really instilled in me the, the importance of how sports is so much more than sports, like the, the weight of sports in society, and so I'm really interested in those kinds of stories personally in terms of reading and also writing them. So I guess that in that way it influenced, but in terms of like changing my outlook on life, like it changed it dramatically when you're like 16, 17 years old and you are facing death like every day. I mean, not um, me personally, like my prognosis was like super positive, <laughs> like a very high five years survival rate and everything. But like, I'm on a floor where there's like a baby who spent most of his life. He's like eight, eight months old or something in like on the pediatric oncology floor, like fighting for his life. And he ends up passing away in my senior year of high school, which was really hard for me I wrote my whole college essay on him and how he like changed my outlook on life and everything. But it's just like facing that and knowing that, you know, your time is precious and I am, I'd like to think that I am here for a reason, you know, and being in that same kind of environment as those kids who did not make it and really wanting to make use of my time here because they did not get as much time as they should have gotten and really taking advantage of that. So pretty deep, but that, I guess that's kind of how it influenced my journey to this point. Swimming World Magazine, May 28th, 2018. Headline, how a 17-year-old swimmer fights cancer. And the final paragraph is, we may not all be swimmers forever, but we will be indebted to the sport for our entire lives because of all the relationships made and lessons learned. Swimming taught me to put my head down and finish into the wall. The lesson is the reason why I stand here today telling you this story and calling myself a survivor. It's freaking good. Yeah, you can write. Um, nothing you need me to tell you. Um, all right. Here I sit. I'm 50. You're 20. Are you 20? I just turned 21 last month. I actually bought a bottle of wine today on my way back to my apartment that I plan on cracking into after we're done. Have you not had a drink since you turned 21? No, I have. So oh. I turned 21 March 19th. But I'm getting a real kick out of being able to go to Trader Joe's by myself without my roommates or my anybody else um, and be able to buy my own bottle of wine. So. It is quite exciting. Before we continue with two writers slinging in, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who will be leaving for college next fall with dreams of becoming a high school history teacher. Fashion designer. I thought your dream was to educate. It is, but ever since you introduced me to 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise, my eyes have been open to the wonders of fashion. I don't get it. Dad. My new dream is to come up with all sorts of amazing designs for 503 Sports. So when the USFL games start up later this year, I'll have created all this merchandise for fans to wear to the stadiums of their favorite teams. Go Wranglers! Go Stars! Go Stallions! Casey, the USFL died more than 30 years ago. It's not a thing anymore. Well, that makes my future look pretty bleak, doesn't it? I sit here at 50, recently turned 50, which sucks, and... Um, I have lived through, I was, I came out of college. I got my first job at a newspaper in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was a huge circulation newspaper. I got hired by Sports Illustrated. They paid me a lot of money, flew me across America to cover baseball. I then was a columnist for ESPN, paid me a lot of money to write weekly columns. Blah, blah, blah. I entered that world, right? I entered that world where there are a million newspaper jobs. 
Twitter didn't exist. All this nonsense didn't exist. I hate to sound like grandpa grumpy, but like all the social media nonsense, it's a noise out of me didn't exist. And it was a real simple time. You got hired to write. That, that was your job. You're going to write. Why would a 21 year old want to be a journalist in 2022? Yeah. So I feel like kids in J school now, like they're being told all the time, like print is dead, like journalism, why are you going to a dying industry and yada, yada, yada. But it's like, with all of this stuff that's happening in the world and the stuff that's happening in journalism, like there are less papers and there's so much more like corporate stuff to consider with the state of journalism today. And, you know, and the distrust and the rift, I guess, between so much of society and just the industry of journalism in general is so vast. And I think for some people, I guess they, they would look at that and be like, why on earth would you put yourself in that position to, to be like kind of in, in the depths of that? But I think those of us that really are into it and really see this as our calling and something that we want to do with our lives are like, view it as kind of a welcome challenge. And it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to be one of the good ones. And I, my work is going to serve as something that's going to give people hope in in journalism and in the future of journalism, you know, and because it's such a huge part of the First Amendment and there's a reason why it's first, because uh, it's really important. So uh, I guess for me, I, I fall more into the category of wanting to take it on uh, and and take that responsibility on it and, and, you know, I guess give people more hope in the fact that there are people looking out for them and trying to tell the truth, no matter what what it looks like. I just want to say on behalf of the older generation, it's the best job in the world. It is. It's the best job in the world. And don't let anyone, I know I could tell you're not, but those people come along and say, oh, you shouldn't be a journalist or blah. It's harder than it used to be. It's a bigger climb than it used to be, but it's so freaking worth it. And um, I always say this and I mean it. When I was at college, when I was literally your age in college, my one roommate decided he wanted to work. He didn't know what to do. So he's going to go work for a bank. He's worked for that bank for 30 years. My other roommate, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to law school. He's been a lawyer for 30 years. And like, that's fine. But being a journalist is an adventure. And you always have the best stories. And you always have the coolest experiences. And you won't be the richest, but it's totally worth it. So I 100% pursue this. Seriously, don't let anyone tell you anything differently. Final question for you. You mentioned sort of going through the feeds of... Um, TikTok feeds. And I literally don't have a TikTok account because it'd be ridiculous for a 50 year old to have a TikTok account. I mean, I know some parents do, but it's kind of embarrassing. What do you feel like you can do that I can't do? And I'm not saying me specifically. I'm saying you're coming along and you're a young journalist, okay? And I'm here and I'm a middle aged journalist. Like, what can you do? What can you bring to the table? What can your generation bring to the table that old, crappy people like me cannot? Yeah, so I get that's an interesting question. And I, I do think that a lot of it is social media based, I guess, like that's at least what first comes to my mind, because what I think and maybe this is like millennials, too, I guess a little bit, but like people that are my age, like if you tell so like you're talking to your friend and your friend is like, oh, I have a crush on this guy or girl or whoever and, and you're like what's their name and then you, you go in you get on your phone and you like google them or search them on instagram and you know like everything about them you know like every job they've ever had you know like their arrest records you know like if they're friends with their mom on facebook and like how is that a sign because like you know like 
boys treat their girlfriends like they treat their mom. And if they treat their mom bad, then they're going to treat you bad, whatever, like stuff like that. And so we can find that stuff like ASAP. And so I think that kind of like well-versedness on social media and being able to find such kind of niche information is really helpful and important in terms of trying to get it quickly too, um, without even ever having to like actually call anybody because you can you find it at, at the tips of your fingers, I guess. <laughs> Would you say people your age don't really give a shit about Twitter? I, I really don't know because I feel like my, I am such a weird kind of like person of my age, you know, like I, I had to get Twitter my freshman year of high school because a lot of my clubs were on there instead of on Facebook for some reason. So they would post updates about like meeting times or whatever. And so then I like did not go on Twitter again until I got to college because everybody was like, Twitter and journalism, like that's where you show your work and yada, yada, yada. And I don't use LinkedIn like I should. So Twitter kind of is like my main thing with that. Um, But I really only follow like sports media or like just regular news people or or, like athletes and stuff. And so I, I feel like not a lot of my friends are super active on Twitter unless they're trying to like be supportive of me and and my work and stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure i think it depends on what kind of young person you are let me ask a final final question i don't think he's been there for about a decade now if you are a university of florida student are you still required to care about tim tebow or is he like a ghost of years past so that's so funny that you asked because i'm pretty sure he's the general like commencement speaker this like this week (laughs) on campus which is pretty crazy i mean i think that the hype is real among at least people who I guess are like from Florida and who like really buy into the, the sports culture here. I mean, the promise plaque is on the stadium. I see it like every day I walk to class, like from my car. So it's definitely big. And he lives in Jacksonville. That's where I'm from. I've seen him and his beautiful wife walking their dogs on the beach before, like super random. I feel like the lore will never fade. Well, I just want to say that um, you graduate next year. So you graduate in 2023. I have you first in my journalism draft. So my college journalism draft, which doesn't really exist, but if I did right now, you're the number one pick because you've been freaking kicking ass. The resume sterling. The job is amazing. You have a bright, bright future in this business. And um, I appreciate you doing this. I really do. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I did, even if it's like a made up accolade, like I will take it. I appreciate number one it. pick. We'll send you the, <laughs> we're, send, we're gonna send you the plaque in the mail. So you got it. Beautiful. I want to thank today's guest, Peyton Titus, for joining me on Two Writers Singing Yang. You can follow Peyton on Twitter at P-E-T-I-T-U-S 25 and check out her work at peytontitus.weebly.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Writers Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money doing this and I rely on word of mouth. Music is by the great MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me and remember, keep writing.